Nakamura. We're doing a podcast with Luke Rook from Tokyo. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, where are you at right now? Um, I am in uh, Koenji, um, which is, um, you know, right by Nakano, the kind of like uh, you know, sort of toy area. Um, and it's actually um, where our studio is and where I live as well. How did you get started in toys? Did this start as a child type of thing, childhood, or is it kind of more recently? Um, no, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, you know, pretty much everybody, like, had some sort of toy. Um, so, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, we, we didn't really have a whole lot. So, you know, whatever toys I had, I was, I was kind of into um, but I guess didn't really, you know, like I wasn't like obsessed about it or anything. Um, but then I ended up moving to Taiwan, um, and I guess kind of got like reintroduced to, you know, all the like little weird bits and baubles that people have to buy, I guess. Um, and so that kind of, that, I mean, that really was like what started it. And then I came back to the U.S. and ended up starting a, a, a toy store. And then I guess it just kind of sort of went from there, really. Um, and ultimately, it just kind of ended up, you know, through the process of, of having a store and, and you know, learning more and more about it and um, wanting to provide more for customers and just that kind of evolution um, ended up bringing me here to Japan. Um, how about, uh, can you go backwards and talk a little bit about the whole Lulu Bell toys thing? Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, so I, it's, I don't know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's a little bit weird. Um, I ended up, um, I ended up getting a, um, a, a, there was a settlement, um, when my, uh, my, my mom passed, um, when I was really young and there was the, there was a settlement from there. Um, and at the time, um, I was like 26 and like a horrible drunk, just drinking all the time. Um, and so I kind of knew that, like, with the settlement, like, if I didn't do something with it, like, I was just going to, like, drink it away. And, and that seemed really, like, depressing. And so it's like, well, I should do something kind of positive. I mean, I should try to, like, sort of like, better my future. And it seemed like um, opening a, opening my own business seems kind of like the, the sort of the best thing to do, really. Um and that, and it, so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was like, well, okay, well, what am I going to do? What should I do? And it was just seemed like everything I went back to was like, well, I've always enjoyed, you know, I've always enjoyed toys and, and they always seem to kind of like make me happy and make other people happy as well. And it just kind of seemed like, I don't know, the most sort of positive thing really. Um, so that, I guess that's just kind of the, the the spark of it, you know. You were in Tucson, though, right? Not Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was born and raised in Tucson, and so when I came back from Taiwan, I ended up, you know, back in Tucson, and that's sort of, you know, that's my home turf. Um, we've since moved up to Phoenix. Um, I have a partner, um, Amy, and Amy um, 
ended up um, moving moving herself, her two kids, and the shop up to Mesa. Um, and so we have a new new location in Mesa um, that's been going for um, for a while now, um, since the beginning of the year. And um, it's a it's a kind of a comparable location to what Tucson was, but um, they just they have a really um, they have a really good supportive scene in Mesa. So um, it's I don't know it's it's working out pretty well. Can you talk about why you moved to Japan? Because uh, when I heard you moved to Japan, I assumed right away it was for toys. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess so. Um, I mean, through the kind of like evolution of you know buying and selling toys for the store, um, I guess my own just like personal taste um, just started to drift towards um, a lot of the stuff that was coming out of Japan. And in particular, like the independent um, sofa bee makers. So um, the the guys that are that are utilizing the same factories that were making the the old um, Godzilla and Ultraman figures um, started, you know, they they just go in the phone book, or, or they knew somebody else who was doing it, and they would contact these factories and start producing their own designs. Um, some of them were based on, um, their interest in those Godzilla and Ultraman, um, Tokusatsu kind of movies or, or their own, their own, their own idea, their own designs and stuff like that. Um, and so it was really, it, it just, they, they just always kind of jumped out as this really unique, well-crafted, well-designed, um, just really stand out kind of, kind of, um, figures. And, you know, they're always like kind of hard to get really, um, for whatever reason. Um, and so it's just kind of like, I don't know, just out of, out of frustration, out of desperation, out of just, I don't know what it was, but it was just kind of like just a sort of moment where I was like, all right, forget it. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move there. And, and really, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll come to Japan for like a year and, um, you know, make some, make some connections, make some good lines, um, and then, you know, head back to the store, keep, you know, keep running that with Amy. And through the connections that I made in, in that year's time, I'd be able to kind of, um, um, you know, sort of go back and forth. And it was pretty apparent um, at the end of the year that that just was not going to happen. And so I've been here for about like five years now and still still learning every day. I'm mean, still learning a ton of stuff. Was it easy to get into that, I guess, world of kaiju making or making, uh, I guess, making any kind of vinyl toy? I always assumed it's kind of hard to get into. I've always heard stories about uh, factories not working with Americans and so on and so forth. I've heard a lot of stories that made it seem like, okay, don't even try it. Yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, I guess to go back, it's like it, it, was, it wow. was kind of easy because fortunately I had like a foot in the door um, from the store and from the work that I, you know, from the stuff that I was buying and working with. And really, um, I, I really lucked out by uh, making friends with this guy 
um, Mori, uh, Mori Katsura of Real Head, and and um, you know Mori's um, this this great designer, this great toy maker. He's a, a he's been doing it for um, let's see, I've been here for five years, so he's been doing it for like probably almost ten years now. Um, and so you know he's just he's been a really great friend and ally and, and really helped me out a lot. But, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it, there really is like anything. Um, Japan has a really interesting way of being really difficult um, for, <laughs> for a lot of different reasons, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, there are definitely, um, there are a lot of hurdles. There are a lot of doors, um, that are just not, it's not that they're closed, but they're just, um, they're confusing as to why they're not open. Um, and, and that's not really to say that it's like necessarily the fault of Japan. Um, but, um, if anything, it's like one of the things that I've learned as an American is just how pervasive that like American mentality is. Um, and so, you know, I think when you hear people talk about like how difficult it is here, it's because, you know, you'll show up and you're like, Hey, I've got this money to, to do this project, to do this thing here, let me just give you money. And then let's make this, you know, make me my thing. And, and sometimes they say no. And so people are like, but, but I don't understand. I have money to give you. Why are you, what's the problem? And so it's that like, there's a, a multitude of reasons why somebody would, you know, would say no. But, um, I think for a lot of, I mean, definitely a lot of like Americans, that idea is like, well, that's crazy. I can't believe that they said no when I was going to give them money. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it is fairly difficult. Um, when you don't, understand like kind of what all the different i don't know the all the different like um reasonings behind how business is done here um then well how is it looking compared to uh, america i guess you know there's a there's got to be a scene of kaiju out there versus one that's here uh do you, do you notice a big difference in that yeah yeah um it's interesting because I would say, um, I mean, I see it um, as a as a toy maker and also as a, as a retailer. Um, so I can see both the you know going to events and seeing what people are buying at events here, and then seeing sort of what's selling online and what people are talking about. And really, I would say um, I feel pretty like confident in saying that there is a. a a stronger, more thriving collecting community outside of Japan than in Japan. Um, and it seems kind of weird, but, you know, really, um, for a lot of people, I mean, your average Japanese person, um, they, they know to one way or another to some extent about Sofobi um, and Kaiju, but most Japanese people have no interest in it. It's some weird thing that like you kind of know about, but you know, like 
you know, like, why would I, why would I, people are still into that, people are still buying that, you know, I mean, I guess it would be like, you know, I don't know, it's like, you know, Pogs or, or, or like, Tamaguchi or something, you know, it's like, yeah, that was kind of cool for a while, but <laughs> people really, people still buy that stuff, what? Um, and especially, like, here in Japan, you know, stuff changes so quickly. So, you know, there's this constant circulation of, you know, what's, you know, what's desirable and what's undesirable. Uh, whereas outside of Japan, it takes on this whole other um, impression, this whole other feel and vibe. And, and, you know, that, like, it really represents something that is, like, fundamentally Japanese culture. And this real fundamental... Um, aesthetic and viewpoint and um, this very specific yet fantasiful way of thinking. Um, and so I think for a lot of people looking into Japan from outside of it, it um, represents this sort of like um, this formula that is... Um, like somewhat strict and yet very um, um, like very playful so um, yeah I mean there are you know there definitely are a lot of people that are that are really into it and are just you know real diehard um, you know diehard collectors or die, you know I mean there's, there's just a there's a, a pretty like rich group of people for sure i've kind of you know, heard and read a little bit and it seems like you're a little bit controversial in the toy world at least on the message boards and stuff like that can you talk about that just a little bit that's interesting i don't know can you expand upon it i mean well, i just heard that you kind of tell you just kind of uh have told the truth a little more than a lot of people on you know the way things are priced Oh yeah, stuff like that. I know that you know kaiju just three, four, five years ago, for something that was three inches tall was like sixty, seventy dollars. You know, it, they were yeah. expensive. Yeah, for sure. There was a mafia kind of. It felt like too, at the time, like it was not that easy to get, and it was like really bottlenecked. You know, where I'm sure the makers right. in Japan would have loved to have their toy in more shops. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm you know, I'm, th there was a point where. Um, you know, I'm sure you saw some of that stuff as well. Um, that was like um, coming through to the U.S. Um, and there was this kind of like, you know, a bottlenecking, definitely. Um, and really, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because you know, Sofubi and, and in particular Kaiju. Um, when you go back you know, to people collecting, um, when they started, like, that resurgence of collecting came, probably the, like, you know, late 70s, 80s, um, and there were dudes like, um, you know, Glenn Danzig was really into it, and so Danzig turned on, um, like, Coop and Kozik and, and, you know, these other guys, and they were kind of, like, spreading that around, um, but it really, you know, when you talk to these, like, old-timers, when you talk to these old collectors, really, yeah, it was, like, you know, they talk about getting these, like, you know, there was, there was a guy who would, you were on his his newsletter, and he would send out these, like, Xerox copies. 
I was doing that, man. I was there too. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, so, I was. Know, like, the stuff people that are just like, you didn't know. You just, you, you would, you know, you would like just send money and you're like, man, I don't know what I'm going to get. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, a lot of people are like, yeah, that's just how it was. You know, if you were into it, that was just, that was the, that was the racket. And so then those kind of like those old, the, that kind of old guard, um, that, that carried through even into, um, you know, this, this more like, you know, modern times and even the, you know, the, the age of the internet and there still was shrouded in all this mystery. Um, and so, you know, with, with that, 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 um, that kind of like shadowy existence, um, I think just kind of like, it works for some people and some people are able to like really capitalize on that and take advantage of that. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I just, I, it just seemed really kind of like, it just seemed really sort of unfair. Um, and in particular, I mean, it's just, I'm, I've been really, um, I've really enjoyed this stuff and, and I've really enjoyed the people that I've met, um, through it. And so the idea of, like overcharging people or, or really um, kind of like just inflating stuff for no real reason just seems um, like a real disservice to the whole community. So, um, so yeah, so being over here, you know, we, we made it a point to price stuff um, more in line with what the, what, you know, what the retail was. Um, and, and, you know, some people were, you know, I mean, some people didn't like that for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we definitely knew that we were not going to, you know, we were going to um, ruffle feathers and, and um, kind of upset some people. But it just seemed like, you know, at the end of the day, like, we also had to be able to, like, live with ourselves as well. And so we just kind of made that decision to, to do it that way. Yeah, because I remember when I spoke to you once, you were telling me, just some prices of how some things were. You're like telling me, oh, this would be a dollar. That would be $2. You know, and it was like, I was thinking, wow, you mean these are not $25 each to make, you know, and therefore you could charge 70 or 80 or 50 or whatnot. I thought that was kind of refreshing. Uh, I've never heard yeah. such a thing. And I've, I've been told stories from other people about uh, prices and how, how much things cost and how difficult it is to get to that factory and how that factory won't work with you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's really refreshing to hear someone kind of just tell it how it is for real, since uh, in the end, people will find out one day. Sure. Um, well, and, you know, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, I should say, I should also kind of like um, probably uh, paint, a, paint a more tr uh, clear picture, which is that like for some people, they are paying $25 a figure. Um, and so, you know, for stuff, you know, like the stuff that I produce... Um, you know, I'm definitely not paying $25 to make that figure. So to charge $70 would be, I, you know, I mean, I would just feel like horrible, but because somebody, you know, it's like the, the person who's paying $25 there, you know, there is a, just a whole chain of people that are each getting a dollar or $2 until it shows up to their doorstep at $25 a figure. And what do you think of that? You know, that kind of a system where it does go through 
10 hands before the you know actual maker gets it. Is that just life? Like, deal with it? Or uh, should they be looking at other ways to do things? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think in any community, um, it, I don't know. I mean, it to me, it kind of seems like laziness um, for use of, like, kind of a, a strong term. But, um, you know, I mean, if you are... You know, if this is your business, if this is what you want to do, um, you you would source out your materials. You would source it out to make it the most, um, like, economically feasible. And so I think for some people it's like, okay, well, here's what the market will pay. So it was justifiable um, to, to, to do it um, at these, like, really inflated prices. But it just you know, to me doesn't seem sustainable. So, uh, you know, that's why I was like, this, this has got to be, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be, um, a, you know, I, I can't imagine that it's like, if you, you know, apply yourself that it, that it's going to cost this much. And really when you get down to it, it's really interesting to see, um, what it actually costs. I mean, what the actual costs are involved. And I guess like most things, um, you know, that very, that last person on the chain ends up kind of making the the biggest, the the largest bulk. Um, Because, you know, when I go out to the, like, factories and and you see what the, like, little mom and pop, and literally the little old people that are physically pulling this stuff, physically making this stuff, um, it's not a lot, you know? I mean, they're definitely not charging a lot, but that's their, you know, that's their their work that's their vocation and they just kind of have you know sat down and done the work um and made that their made that their business um so uh yeah i mean i guess um it it really is um uh um it's what am I trying to say here? Um, I, I mean, I think that it's like um, if anything that you do, anything that you want to do and do it well, you know, it's worth kind of sort of putting in those hours, putting in that time, putting in your, you know, doing your homework to figure out um, how to to make the the best product um, in a in a sustainable one. You know, sure. yeah. Makes sense. Um, can you talk uh, about those factories? Uh, can you paint me a picture of what it's like, uh, where they are, and what's it like approaching them? And you know, is it in a house? Is it a huge building? Can you explain yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah, actually, um, you know, there's there's kind of there's a whole area on the like east side of Tokyo, kind of like right um, like Tokyo, where Tokyo meets Saitama, the the kind of next. Um, um, the, the next area over. Um, so if you're coming from like Shinjuku, it's probably about like a 40 minute, um, train, um, going eastward. Um, so not super far, but it's this kind of whole area and, you know, they kind of call it the like Sophie town. Um, and it's broken up into all the different, um, uh, process processes involved in making a toy. And so there's the guy who makes the metal molds. 
the factory where that, you know, that factory just makes the, the metal molds used um, to, to make your figures. And then, you know, down the road is the factory that pulls the, the vinyl that uses the metal molds um, to, you know, pull, pull vinyl from. And then down the road, there's the guy that paints it. Um, further down, there's the guy that makes the metal paint masks. Um, and it's really broken up into all of its different um, processes. And really, you know, like Japan, um, you know, it's it, this uh, amazingly industrious country. And, um, you know, it, it really is just these, you know, the 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 spare room inside these people's homes or, you know, the, some of the bigger ones will have the whole bottom floor will be the, the huge, um, copper plating baths used to make the metal molds. And then the top floor is their office and also their home. Um, I've gone to factories that are, um, the, the, um, the Takahashis, or they call it the Hufu, the, the the married couple, and they're probably in their mid seventies, mid to late seventies, wow. mm-hmm. and it's this just sweet little old married couple in their home, and they have um, the machinery in the in the front uh, front room, and it's just these you know these little old people making toys and they've been making toys for, um, you know, 50, 60 some years since the beginning of the, the Godzilla toy boom. Wow. Um, and yeah, it really, I mean, it really is, you go out there and it, it really is just kind of like, you know, a real living, living history. How easy is it to, to work with them though? You know, like, like back to the, uh, well, exclusive, exclusive type of vibe. I, I always heard, oh yeah, they won't work with anyone if who just walks up to them, or they won't work with. Yeah, just it was just I've always heard so many stories that it was really hard to get in there. But you paint a picture like they're really nice people. You know, I've always heard that no, they're they're going to shut you out. You know, just almost everything. I've heard every yeah. kind of story. Yeah, yeah, and that does happen for sure. Um, and so you know, there are some people that are just they're you know they're kind of like at capacity. Um, and again, it kind of goes back a little bit to like that, like sort of strange thing where it's like, well, isn't more work better? Isn't more money better? Don't, wouldn't you rather just work more and have more money? And for a lot of them, they're like, no, (laughs) no, I don't want to work more. You know, I don't, uh, I make, I make as much money as I would like to make and I work this amount. I see. Um, so that's why it's kind of like really like sort of weird for people, but is there uh, enough space then for another toy maker to try to get in and work with those folks? Or is it just up to them now? Is it up to a toy maker just to find yet another factory, another, another source? Yeah. Um, I mean, sure. It kind of depends as well. Um, I think, you know, like anything, um, you know, any life, it's about those sort of like interpersonal relationships. And so, you know, I mean, I'm sure the same thing would be for you. If somebody just like walked up to you and was like, Hey man, give me a job. You'd be like, um, okay. I don't, you know, I, I, you know, I'm all right. Or, you know, if one of your, 
you know, one of your best friend's kids was like, man, you know, he really needs a job. He just needs some, you know, a couple hours here or there, you know, you'd probably be like, well, I'm sure we could find a spot for him. Right, I see. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, it definitely, you know, it helps who you know. Um, you know, introductions definitely help for sure. Um, yeah, but, you know, like anything, um, I guess it's, again, it's just kind of like the, the work that you put into it. So there, I mean, there are definitely like, um, there are factories here and agencies that you can go directly to that, you know, that one factory, that one agency, and they will not necessarily make everything in house, but they've sourced it out so that they will mm-hmm. produce a figure for you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so that's usually when you talk to people that are like, man, it's expensive. It's really expensive. It's because they've gone to this one source that then kind of does everything. I see. Um, and so, you know, I mean, in, in the same way, it's like you would pay more to have your car fixed at the, at the, you know, the dealer than if you have, you know, one part of your car fixed by one guy and the other part by another guy. And, sure. Um, so it's kind of the same idea. Cool. Um, what about the, uh, this rumor? Is it a rumor maybe that, uh, you bought your own factory? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that, um, it's funny. Uh, yeah. I, we, I haven't yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but, but it is something that I'm working on for sure. Um, again, it's like, you know, going back to, to what it's like to sort of work with all these like factories and stuff. Um, I mean, they're all really, um, they're, they're old people. Um, and a lot of them are, you know, they're, they're retiring, you know? It's not the most, um, it's not the easiest job for sure. I mean, you're working with hot temperatures. You're working with all kinds of like weird chemicals. You're working with, um, you know, doing repetitive motions all day long. Um, it's heavy. It, you know, it doesn't smell great, you know. And uh, I guess they're just retiring, right? I, mean, I assume that there's no, their kids aren't work, uh, taking over their jobs and so forth. Oh, lost connection with Luke Rook. We're on hold for a second. The internet. Oh, here oh. it goes. You're back. Sorry about Sorry. that. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Sorry. Uh, so we were talking about, uh, oh, I was actually asking about uh, their, uh, I kind of, you're talking about the chemicals and all this kind of stuff like that. Um, and, but are, are any of these factories experiencing like their kids taking over and. Right. Well, that's just it. Most of them, it's like they're, you know, again, it's like, you know, nobody, they're like, why would I want to work in Sophie? Why would I want to work with Godzilla toys? Like, that's not cool, man. Like, you know, all their kids want to be like graphic designers or they want to like work in, you know, I mean, they want. They want a cool, interesting job, you know? I see. So, um, yeah, they're like, they're not into that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's why it like, I mean, it it like really is this sort of like dying art or something. Um, and you know, we, you know, I mean, we've seen that. I mean, the people that are sort of like on the ground level, the writings on the wall, you know, you go out to the factories and they're, 
you know, they're all really nice. They're all very like jovial and stuff, but they're like, I'm not going to be doing this for, um, for a long time. And so, you know, it's, if, if somebody doesn't pick it up, if people don't pick it up, you know, it could, um, you know, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's going to like completely dissolve or completely fade away, but it could become like pretty myopic, you know, in, in that it's like, you know, one or two factories and that's sort of it. Yeah. Uh, which just seems like really, I don't know, it just seems kind of like dismal. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm definitely working with friends over here. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're working on getting a factory going for sure. Cool. Can you talk about your designs? Uh, they're, I guess they've kind of, I would say they got popular, uh, very quickly. And, yeah. uh, your style is to me a lot different than everyone else's style. I mean, you're more like a Luke Rook Island somewhere amidst, uh, tons of kaiju, yeah. you know, kind of like the way Dehara is. He's kind of on his own planet. Uh, you can know Dehara is a great toy maker and designer artist, uh, it seems like you've got your own thing going too, completely different than most people. Can you talk about how that uh, developed? Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it really started from being over here and being around other toy makers um, like Dahara. Um, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to um, become friends with him, and you know, we we had a show in Tucson where we flew him out. Um, and then from coming over here, he's, you know, he's been really helpful and, uh, you know, in allowing me to come over to his place and, um, work with him and, um, you know, just kind of just sort of talk about the stuff that he does. And so he's a, he's a huge influence and, um, other people like Maury and just, you know, people that I see around here and in working, um, have definitely influenced me, but, um, the, the like really interesting way and um, I guess also really frustrating way about learning things here in Japan um, and the way that they teach is just, you know, okay, you should do that. Go do it. <laughs> and y- it's like, you never really, you're like, okay, well, how do I do that? And, you know, usually it seems like in, you know, back home in the U S it's like, you know, okay, well, all right, well, sure. Here, sit down and here, here's what I do. And, you know, look at this, and it's really this really hands-on, step-by-step thing. And here, it's like, yeah, you should go do that. And you're like, okay, cool. How do I do that? And it's like, well, you make it happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're like, and then it's almost like you're kind of like, I don't know, like sort of like shamed into like, all right, man, well, I, I better learn how to do this then, and that's kind of it. And so, really, what I did was, you know, from like talking to like. Dehara and like some other guys are like, well, you know, go, go to Tokyo hands and buy this clay, you know, or, or like go buy clay at Tokyo hands and not necessarily which kind of clay, but just go buy clay, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, so like one day I like just went and like bought all this clay. Um, and like, and basically like sat down for like, I don't know, kind of, I want to say it was like almost a month. And I just made figures every day for a month. And they were, like, really horrible. And But I just kind of, like, and I was really frustrated. And I was like, man, this is impossible. This is never going to work. And I just wasn't really liking it because I was, I guess I was, like, trying to, like, emulating all the stuff that I saw. 
and it was just like becoming like more and more frustrating. And so finally it was just like, well, you know, forget it. I'm just going to like, what I'm just going to make, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was like, I'm just going to make this like guitar or something. Or I started just making these like really like mundane things. And then I just kind of like, just kept making more and more stuff. And it was just making stuff that I was looking at that was just sort of around me. And so I guess it was just like, I was drawing stuff from, from like kind of things that I was seeing or, you know, just stuff, stuff near me. And then just kind of like being okay with it existing. I don't know. Um, and then it just kind of came to this point where it's like, okay, we'll just make this thing, you know, just don't really be so hung up about it. Don't be so concerned about like, you know, having to make something cool and just make something for the sake of it just existing as part of this like learning process. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, I just kind of like, I went from there, um, but really it was, you know, the, the biggest point was that, you know, I knew that I was like, kind of like coming in um, under the kind of like shadow of like a lot of really amazing people and really great artists. And, and I just didn't feel like a, this really amazing, great artist myself. And, and, um, you know, I, I priced it out. I knew what my costs were and things like that. And so I, you know, made sure that I wanted to, um, price it according to being this new maker, being, being this apprenticing person. And, you know, really, um, I, you know, I wrote something up and, and sent that out in the beginning, um, about, you know, this, like this being my apprenticeship and, and like any apprentice, you don't really get to charge full price. You don't get to make what the, what the masters make because you're still learning your craft. Sure. Um, and so, so I made sure that, you know, that I priced stuff kind of like with that, like ethos in mind. And, um, and I think really that's kind of what ended up really working in my favor um, because it was just cheap, you know, it was Japanese vinyl. It was cheap. Um, I, you know, I've, I've done my best to kind of make it as accessible as I could, um, which is hard because not only am I making stuff of my own designs, but I'm making stuff of other people's designs as well. So I don't really have like the time to make just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stuff. Um, so I, you know, I make what I can, um, as time allows. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, I, I make it, you know, fairly, you know, fairly inexpensive, um, I guess comparably or, and, um, try to make a whole bunch of it. And I think that's really what people kind of gravitated to. Um, so I don't know. I mean, other people have said that, you know, I mean, everybody kind of, has said all the different reasons for why they're into it or, you know, what they enjoy about it. But, um, you know, I think if you, if people are going to collect stuff, um, if you can make it kind of, um, interesting, um, you can make, you know, make some weird variations and, and kind of play around with it and, and not get too hung up on having to make something cool. I think that kind of speaks to, you know, people will, kind of decide if it's cool or not. Are you still an apprentice? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I mean, I'm still kind of like, I mean, I'm definitely farting around. I definitely am learning a lot of stuff every day and, and I really am not, um, 
I'm not like, I mean, I'm still not like trying to like have it be like one specific thing or um, like push it into like being something, um, some specific look or feel. Um, so I think that like, I, I mean, I'm definitely goofing off a lot. Um, so I guess that's part of being an apprentice is still, you know, making mistakes. The, I guess the thing with me is that like, you know, whether it's a mistake, you know, whether it's good or bad, I, I put everything out. So I never like really, I never censor myself. Like if I make something, if I make a toy and, and it's not great, or if there's a mistake in it or, or it's not this like perfect thing, it still goes out. Um, and so, I don't know, I mean, maybe that just kind of speaks more to me. Like, I like that kind of, like, imperfect stuff anyway. So, um, I, I guess I probably still would always be putting that out. Um, but, I, I mean, it, it hasn't even been a year um, since I, like, very first started. So, yeah, I don't know how long that apprenticeship period will go, but, but um, I don't know, hopefully forever, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, you've been there for five years, but you said you've only been putting out toys for less than a year what, what happened in those four years of time before you even made one toy yeah well i mean i really came over i didn't know that i was coming to japan to become a toy maker ah i thought that's why you went there <laughs> from the beginning yeah. well i mean i came here because i was buying and selling toys i see you know yeah and like we were talking about before you know there was all that like mystery of like getting toys and and how to you know i mean it was just it was hard Sure. It was really hard to get stuff. And I was like, man, this stuff is awesome. This stuff is cool. And, you know, I couldn't, you know, I wanted to collect it and it was hard for me to collect it. And I had, you know, I had a, a lot of customers that wanted it. And so really just, I came over here as like a buyer. Um, and it was funny because I was, you know, I would buy stuff and, and, you know, my friends are like, oh yeah, you know, why, when do you, why don't you make something? You know, you should do something. You know, and it was kind of like, ha, ah, yeah, sure, you know, I'll do that. And, you know, really, I mean, I guess to go even sort of further back, one of the real pushes from the, the real start for getting a, for opening the store was that, you know, I figured it would be a great way to showcase my own art. Um, and I quickly learned that, you know, the worst thing an artist can do is like open a gallery. Um Cause it just was like, I just never had any time to be creative, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for like sure. Busy, like busy hounding, like all these other guys, all these other artists to like send their stuff in and, you know, get, get information out in time. And, sure. Like, you know, I mean, you know, running a gallery is like, it's painful. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it was like, so I just like ended up like kind of stopped doing, stopped creating stuff to, to run the shop, to do everything else. And then being here, I was kind of like, it just sort of came on, I mean, like, I guess somewhat naturally, fairly naturally in that, you know, it wasn't this like premeditated thing. Um, well, how long like, are you going to stay there? I don't know. It's funny. Everybody keeps asking me that. <laughs> um, well, I did see, uh, I thought I saw on, uh, that you are engaged to be married. Is that true? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you don't. We don't know. I mean, we keep. It's like, yeah. Um, I don't know. She's right here. Are we engaged? She's looking at me weird. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. 
We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. I, it's just awesome. One of the, it's like, I think one of you, your story is like a really interesting story that can be, uh, it can be like on CNN, you know, like it, it's, it's like to me, like as interesting as can be, uh, the way you've kind of went ahead and, you know, hit some kind of a real niche type of a type of a type of a kind of a collecting circle and kind of turned it into your own thing in a way. But at the, you know, at the same time, you're working with kind of legends in the game too. So I really like seeing this, uh, this story to me. It's very underdogish. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's hard for you to say, but for me to say, I can totally see it. And, uh, you know, people talk about you, so it's in a really interesting and good light uh, yeah. that I've seen. Except for those that are, like, maybe, you know, into the old guard, uh, you know, Hedera or Hedera type of uh, monsters and stuff like that. You know, they might not be gravitating as easy, but... Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, I understand that. I mean, I understand that definitely people are not going to, like... I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that people that I do that people are just like, I don't. That's weird. I don't get it. I don't like it. It's dumb. I like the I like the old stuff. I like the original stuff. I like, you know. Yeah. It's like I like what I like. Don't change it. You know. And yeah. that's I totally get that. That's cool. That's fine. Um, and I would never, like, I would never say like, you're you're stuck in your ways or you gotta like, you know, you gotta come over to this way. You know, I mean. I like all that stuff too, you know, um, and I definitely draw inspiration from all that stuff, but, um, you know, I think people, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I, I guess like, I guess I probably am an underdog. Um, <laughs> I think so. So, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, um, you know, it's, ch it's definitely challenging. Um, but I think, you know, anybody that like does something that wants to do something different um, for the kind of like, just to sort of see what it looks like or to see what, you know, what can happen. Um, you know, you know, you're going to take flack for that stuff. So. Yeah. It's also refreshing though, because uh, how many people get into toys and then right away position themselves as an expert or a professional or, uh, you know, charge the high prices and all those kind of things where, you know, I know it's, it's refreshing that you're calling yourself an apprentice and your stuff is actually outselling uh, a lot of, you know, bigger, quote, professional toy makers. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, just refreshing I, to I, me, I, you know. I think that all just, like, goes back to just making stuff, like, kind of, like, accessible, affordable, um, and kind of, like, varied, really. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure there, you know, there are guys that are like, well, you know, I so you know, I can sell one figure for, like, $500, and to me, that sounds like the worst thing. I would, like, I would never want to say that. Like, I would feel so embarrassed to, like, say that, like, I sold, like, you know, this one thing for $500 because it's only one thing, you know. But I knew that I could make a 100 more just like it, you know. I mean, I haven't really got into doing a lot of, like, um, really high-end, expensive things. Um, I, You know, perhaps that'll happen someday. You know, perhaps... Um, I'll look at a way to make something, I guess, really, really rare, really, really, like, a, a, a reason for it to demand, like, a price like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this stuff just seems like, I don't know, it just, it doesn't really make sense to me. Maybe it makes better sense to them, and I just haven't been able to figure that out. But. Well, I, I think you changed the market just a little bit in certain collecting circles. I'm not saying the big market, but... 
when you know when your when your figures come out and they're thirty dollars versus and then you know kaiju another kaiju same size maybe same amount of moving parts is like fifty five or sixty or mm-hmm. something like that you know you're you're causing a shift you're seeing people are going to start saying uh, hey you know I'm gonna I want to buy the next Luke figure for that price or around your price and you know no longer buy that kaiju that's double the price that obviously is made but the same way you know what i mean i I think it just kind of changes the market a little bit and uh to make it a little more fair you know and maybe it's a correction i'm not sure how you see that well yeah and you know i mean we get it um i mean i have a a handful of clients and we keep getting you know i mean i get more and more people kind of asking me um you, you know about like quotes on how to make stuff or you know even just kind of like pricing things and you know i always try to recommend to to price it in um in as fairly a way as they can um so you know i mean i'll get yeah people will be you know they're very they're very open um a lot of times about um how they're looking at pricing stuff and you know they're like well geez i gotta you know i mean i gotta pay for my food and i gotta pay for my housing and i gotta pay for this other stuff um and you know oftentimes it's like well is that part of your you know, does that go into your business model? I mean, or is that some you want to get paid because you just want to have that other money? You know, I, I guess it's kind of like a weird, a little bit weird, but, um, you know, I always try to recommend to people um, that they kind of, you know, they think about their, their overall brand. They think about their overall market and, and you know, being able to sustain and support these people um, who are, you know, essentially, you know, buying into what they're saying. Um, I don't know. Like, it's really funny. Um, Dove from, uh, from DKE. Sure. Um, is a, you know, huge toy, uh, distributor and does a lot of stuff. Um, uh, just a, you know, all around great guy. Um, we all know him. We all like him. And he, he likes telling the story about there was this, this, this boxer who fights Mike Tyson and gets paid like a hundred thousand dollars during the, the time when fighting Mike Tyson was like paramount to like brain damage. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? So it's like the guys get paid like a hundred thousand dollars to be like permanently brain dead for the rest of his life, you know, and nobody would like, nobody wanted to do it, but he's like, okay. And then, you know, and then his next fight, he gets like, you know, several million dollars. Because now everybody wants to see what, how he does after fighting Mike Tyson. And, you know, it's like his point is like, you never get paid for the thing you should get paid for. Mm-hmm. You never get paid to do the thing that you really think you deserve to get paid for. But if you do your work, if you do that stuff, you put in your time and do those things, then those other projects come along where you, then, then you cash in. Uh, I agree 100%, actually. I, I try to explain the same thing. Uh, art shows, too, are artists. I tell yeah. them, God, eat later, man. You know, um, let's, let's, let's work on your future, meaning slowly let's keep your price low for right now and eat later, you know. Eat the expensive food later. Don't worry about it. Right. And uh, it's kind of the same thing. Just let people, you know, I'm just like, take the sacrifice now. Right, for sure. <laughs> yeah, same kind of thing and see what happens, you know. Or otherwise, you just kind of box yourself into a corner maybe you know what i mean yeah totally yeah don't want to yeah, do that people just don't really want to i mean for the most part people just don't really want to do the work you yeah. know and they just want to go from like kind of 
they, they see the model of like success, you know, the people that they admire that are successful and they want to do that right they away start yeah. off as successful. And it's just, it's pretty rare that you get to do that. Yeah. No, most don't. <laughs> there's, there's a backstory of 10 years of struggle beforehand usually, you know, so. Right. Uh, no, that's how it is. But uh, cool, man. So what are you doing uh, in the next short future? What do you have? What do you have uh, on deck? Um, well, I guess now we're, you know, I mean, it's a, we're kind of in that, that first initial push for Comic-Con. Um, so getting kind of the, you know, getting the, the, that kind of building block of stuff in, um, getting the orders in now, um, kind of building up the stuff that we have on hand. Um, that's kind of what I've been working on. Um, there's, um, I don't know if it's, you know, too premature to say now, but there's, you know, we're working on some stuff with, uh, with giant robot. Um, (laughs) who are they? Oh yeah. No. (laughs) Um, there's, um, um, what else is there? Jeez, I don't, it's like, I always, I have a list of stuff, and so it's like, at the end of the day, I'm like, what, I don't know what's left. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So awesome. But, yeah, I mean, I guess right now we're really kind of like, you know, doing that push to get all the Comic-Con stuff, as much of the Comic-Con stuff going now. Um, Is life good? Is this better? Is this kind of what you've wanted right now? No. (laughs) No? Okay. It's hard. It's so hard. I mean, to be to really, to be honest, it's like this is like the hardest my life has ever been. I think. But is this better than uh, you know, or would you rather be in Arizona working at your shop and running that, or what's is this kind of like more happiness right now, at least? I don't know. I can definitely say it's not more happiness. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, like I can definitely say like you know, I mean, like happiness. You know what? I mean, I guess there's like you get into like. um you know, how do you quantify happiness, right? So it's like, is sitting down eating, you know, a huge, like, hot fudge sundae, like, that's, like, really bad for you? Is that happiness? Oh, you that know? sounds good to me. Right? So it's <laughs> like, you know, when you're kind of, like, you're at home, you you know where your, like, favorite restaurant is, you know, like, it's easy, you know? Like, so home, you know, life back in Tucson was like, it was easy. It, there was, you know, I mean, there was, there was challenges for sure, but you know, for the most part, it was pretty like, it was pretty much like dialed in and like nothing about life is easy here. Um, I don't think that it'll be like that forever for sure. Um, I mean, if I thought that it was like, this is as good as it'll ever get, then I probably would. I don't know that I have the like fortitude to stick it out for the rest of my life. But I, I mean, I, I think that like, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and I think that, you know, if you kind of sort of weather the storm, um, you know, you, you get rewarded for that. Um, but I mean, you know, and that being said, I've been the most creative I've ever been in my entire life being here. Um, Japan is, is weird. Tokyo in particular is just, it's a weird place. It's, it's expensive. It's super expensive to be here. And so you really have to want to be here. 
you know you you have to want to pay you know to leave your door and to come back you're already out 20 bucks you know (laughs) yeah right you're totally right you you know if you live in tokyo it's like you really have to want to be here and you kind of find a lot of people here um they either figure out what it is that's keeping them here or they end up leaving and um or they're just kind of like sort of putting in their time just to kind of like be here just for the sake of being here but it doesn't really last but i mean i've i've been hugely creative and I've, and I've learned so much about myself and learned about the, my uh, creative process and um, how to, you know, how to make something. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, I guess like anything, you know, um, that sort of that learning process tends to kind of hurt or tends to be difficult. Um, but I guess those are probably some of the better lessons learned. So, Yeah. I'm proud of you, man. I, you know, when oh. I, whenever I see stuff, when I see you're doing things, I'm always like looking at it going, oh man, I remember when, you know, you just moved there. <laughs> you didn't know anything yet. And right. Just, just from what you did in Arizona and then you were kind of green and then, uh, to see you doing this stuff now, uh, you know, shows me a lot, shows me a lot of like, you know, you have a lot of fortitude, a lot of, uh, a lot of effort went in and, uh, I see, I see a great lesson for anyone who's kind of trying to do stuff, you know, just kind of blows me away. Wait, yeah, and it's so funny, too, because, you know, you and I have talked, um, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, and, and we've talked in the past and stuff, and, I, and it's it's funny, because even now, I'm still, like, I'm always, like, kind of blown away, um, yeah, I mean, you've always been, like, really supportive and, and really, you know, kind, and, um, and, and, yeah, I mean, I just, I, like, I remember getting Giant Robot, the, you know, reading the magazine, uh, you know, jeez, I don't even know, you know, for... 10, 10 years, 10, I don't know, when was it, like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I don't know, the first one, it was a long time ago, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. And, and, and so, to kind of, like, come around, you know, and looking at that, and be like, wow, you know, just sort of learning about other cultures, and learning about other things, and, you know, you guys have always had a real strong emphasis on, on art, and design, and creativity, and, you know, reading that, you know, I, like, I never would... You know, it always just kind of seemed like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. Look at all these other people. And never realized, like, how, I guess, didn't realize, like, putting myself into that. And then now kind of, like, coming all the way around to seeing, like, how, especially, you know, hearing from you and, and hearing price from you. is like, whoa, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's not like that. <laughs> I, I just, it's, you know, it's a giant robot and, uh. Things I do mostly comes from a being a fan, a fan standpoint. So yeah, I become a fan of what you're doing, but not just the work. It's the work, the way you did it is kind of almost as great as the actual final product. You know what I mean? It's funny how like, um, you know, it just takes like somebody being interested in something, and how that interest can then affect so many other people's lives. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, hopefully someday I can have some effect on something positive in, in the same way that, you know, you've affected my life positively. So I think it's happening, man. <laughs> you, you just won't know it. Cause uh, I would never know it either. So <laughs> it kind of one of those things that happens without you knowing, and that's the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah man. So cool, man. I appreciate your time. No, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much.
Thank you.